A Tiny Revolution features adults having adult conversations, which means that adult language is probably going to be present, just so you know. Hey there, you're listening to A Tiny Revolution, a podcast about ordinary people living revolutionary lives. I'm Kevin Garcia. Welcome to another episode. I am just thrilled to be back in uh, in the mode of just creating again. Um, I took a break for a while. If you didn't know that, you can go over to my YouTube page and check that out. Also, my production value has stepped its game up, honey. I just learned a new software. Um, I have new projects coming out. So before we get into the conversation today, let me hit you with the announcements. A, if you're listening to this on Wednesday, November 14th, first of all, happy birthday to me. I turned 29 today when this is coming out. I am so thrilled to be old as shit. I'm not really old as shit. I'm just getting into my 30s, and that's a little scary. But things you can do today if you are, like, wanting to feel generous. A of all, my friend Frankie um, is my barber, an amazing guy. He is currently working towards his gender confirmation surgery. Um, and needs a little bit of help getting there. So if you go over to thekevingarcia.com slash Frankie, it's going to take you to uh, a website where you can donate to his um, his fund. We're looking to raise around uh, 4000-ish to 5000-ish dollars um, to really help offset the cost because, you know, no insurance out in these streets means that you have to pay for this shit on your own. And so if you are feeling generous today, for my 29th birthday, I would love for you to go to thekevingarcia.com slash Frankie, which is F-R-A-N-K-I-E, and um, donate. Just donate $29 for my 29th birthday to this amazing human. Honestly, Frankie's journey um, began around the same time as mine. Um, and since I've known Frankie, we've both really become the people like I have become a lot more femme. Um, Frankie started tea and um, is just, I know that this, he's somebody who I think is, uh, is very special to me. Um, so, if you're feeling generous today, which you should always be feeling generous because we're the body of Christ, because what we have like around a thousand listeners an episode. So if everybody on this podcast gave, uh, you know, $29 today, we would more than uh, double the amount that we need. And it would help with not only the surgery, but the recovery process as well. So again, donate today. Go to thekevingarcia.com slash Frankie. Donate to my friend. I love you so much. Second announcement too. Um, there is a sale slash giveaway going on with Queerly Beloved Tees. Yes, I talk about it all the time. I'm trying to revamp that. But girl, I again have stepped up my production value. So right now, everything from Queerly Beloved is on sale. And if you go follow Queerly Beloved and tag one of your friends on there, you'll be in it for a chance to win a shirt of your own. So go ahead and go to Queerly Beloved Tees on Instagram. Follow us and tag somebody and maybe you'll win a free shirt and if you want to snag some cute shirts they're on sale right now and you can go to thekevingarcia.com click on the merch button and it'll take you right there third announcement i know we've got a lot going on i'm going to be at the q christian fellowship conferences here doing three different things a i'm going to be leading worship again this year i feel very fortunate so shout out to tash holmes for asking me to come on board for that once again um, and then we've got uh, my talk that I'm giving, which is called Let's Talk About Sexual Ethics. Um, and I'm going to be talking about sex and how we do it and <laughs> how we do it. I'm going to talk about how to do sex. Just kidding. Um, but we're going to be talking about how we navigate sex, how we talk about sex, relationships, marriage, the whole nine yards. I am thrilled to be coming to QCF and bringing this talk with me. Um, and the other thing I'm doing is a, a Tiny Revolution Live. My first live show ever, you guys. I, I can't believe it. I don't know who I'm going to ask or talk with or what we're going to do yet, but like it's going to be phenomenal. So I hope that you come and see and hang out, and it's going to be brilliant. I cannot wait. Um, you can get all of that information over at qchristian.org. Go ahead and register, get your hotels, get your plane tickets, and I'll see you in January, babe, in Chicago. It's going to be so cold. Ugh. Um, I was there last year for the TRP conference, and honey, chili, 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 chili. Me and my pea coat are going to be best friends. Let's see. And um, I guess that segues nicely into my conversation today with who we're talking to, which is one of the keynote speakers at Q Christian this year, the fantastic, the amazing Jennifer Knapp. 
If you don't know who Jennifer Knapp is, Jennifer Knapp is uh, a, a Grammy-nominated artist. She is a writer. She's a speaker. She's an activist. And she was CCM royalty for a long time. She took a hiatus, went to Australia, was sorting her shit out. And then when she came back on the music scene, she actually came out of the closet before it was cool to come out as a queer Christian. Um, amazing, amazing woman. The conversation we had was delightful. And I can't wait to share it with you. When she's not doing music or doing advocacy work on behalf of the LGBTQ people of faith uh, in her organization, Inside Out Faith, uh, she's working on her master's degree in theological studies at Vanderbilt Divinity School. Jennifer's most recent album, Love Comes Back Around, is so stinking good. Go listen to it on, on Spotify. Buy it on iTunes, wherever you listen to it. Um, I'm done talking. This conversation is just a delight. We talk about Christianity, why we're still Christians, if we're still Christians, what does it look like? We talk about the Wesleyan quadrilateral. Like, we get into a lot of like really cool stuff. So I hope that you really enjoy this conversation uh, with my friend Jennifer Knapp. Back in the day when I was a good Christian man, um, before I became a bad Christian woman, um, I, uh, I was listening to The Relevant Podcast way back in the day when you, like, uh, like I think you were on the cover of Relevant. Oh, uh, and... yeah. A couple of times, I think. At least once, yeah. Yeah, and they were talking about, like, you know, you were on hiatus in Australia, and they were interviewing you about your new album. And then, like, two weeks later, you came out. And they had like a follow up conversation on the podcast about like, if we knew that she was going to come out, we wouldn't have interviewed her. And I'm like, I just kind of laughed to myself. That was actually a big row. Um, Relevant yeah, people, Magazine were, was really pissed off at me because I did an interview with them prior to that and didn't say anything. And I waited this whole interview. Well, that's kind of the funny thing for me. It was like mm-hmm. I waited that whole interview for some for, for the guy to ask the question. And mm-hmm. they never had the balls to do it. And I was just like, <laughs> I hung up the phone. I was like, that was weird. Because <laughs> you know? so. they probably didn't think two ways about it. It's just like, oh, it's Jennifer Knapp. She's, you know, back from the Australian desert to give um, us more music. No, I, they knew. I mean, like, they're, like, I was in Nashville at the time. And, like, I came back and my partner was with me. And it wasn't a secret. I mean, that's mm-hmm. kind of, like, one of the weird things about this is kind of like where I get, I laugh some, I don't laugh, but it's peculiar about uh, public personalities, right? Putting Mm -hmm. out press releases about their sexual orientation. I mean, first (laughs) off, you know, who does that? I mean, it's kind of a, it's not a very, I don't know. Like most of us just don't, you know, get a billboard and go, this is my sexual orientation and everybody to drive by now. No, you know, it's just, you disclose your, you know, people know you because they know you and, you know, everybody in my life knew that, you know, I was in a same sex relationship. And so here, it wasn't a secret when I got to Nashville, but part of that thing was that I'd had these interviews scheduled where uh, I think it was like, it was the advocate, uh, CCM magazine and Reuters, I think had these interviews and they were on a slate, they were on a schedule. Mm -hmm. And so they were, they were like going to do these they're like okay these are really great interviews we're going to release these at this time so like i wasn't even in control of my own press date <laughs> my own press <laughs> reveal but all that being said is you know i did do some interviews prior to those interviews and of the of the christian uh interested ones it was really it was amazing to me that you could hear them on the line just kind of wanting me to spill the beans and kind of like not real comfortable with making the ask um and, they didn't want to say like, "Hey, are you gay?" Right, exactly. And I, I, I can't really explain it. Like to this day, I'm really fascinated, like by, you know, the kind of courage that it takes for LGBTQ people to have to cl- disclose their own um, information, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's you know that's gotten better over the last ten, fifteen years, especially. But the the pressure that was on me at that time to disclose, and no one considered, you know, I'd never considered like the opportunity that somebody had like to, to ask and how violent that is and how it is mm. kind of like none of your business. And so I, I was really actually enjoying the, I, I want to enjoy is probably the wrong word. Like I was really, I learned something in that moment about how difficult it is and how private it is and how we shouldn't really expect that. And that, that mm-hmm. really 
that really made me have to contemplate like the the process that I was going through. You know, why am I coming out? Why did I want to talk about it? Why was it important for me to disclose? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that the, that moment, even though I kind of, you know, it's a little anecdote to talk about with Relevant ma- Magazine and how mm-hmm. they basically accused me of being a liar because I didn't disclose it. I was yeah. like, well, that's you really- didn't. You didn't lie about anything, though. Yeah, I, no, I never did, and I, but I just, I didn't offer it, and I, but I, at the same time, you know, I, I did take that on board. You know, I was like, gosh, am I lying by not talking about mm. this? And what is the value of whether I disclose or whether I don't disclose, or when and where and how, and all those kinds of things? And you know, hindsight being twenty twenty, I mean, I'm, I'm really grateful that that I did make the decision to to be fully exposed, so, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, you know, to, to have to do that with the public life that I have is was kind of an interesting kind of gauntlet to go through. But it made me deeply appreciate the just the value of being honest with who I was and who I am with people mm-hmm. um, that I just I knew that somehow like I was just never going to not be that. Um, but, um, yeah, it was just one of those strange things where just like at the same time, like I don't go into a restaurant, you know, full of strangers and go, hello, everybody. I'm here and I'm gay. You, know? you don't? Like, no, that's, I haven't. See, well, I think you should try it sometime. It's <laughs> thrilling. But that's, now, like, so, so that's, so you, you'd never heard of me and that you heard it like on this, this podcast about how they're basically saying they wouldn't do it. Well, no, like I heard you, I think you actually, it was like your interview about I can't remember if it was like you were on the podcast or like they just talked about it, like you being on the cover or something like that. And then I don't know. Either way, I thought it was just like so interesting. And like, that's how I figured out who you were. Cause I didn't grow up listening to like CCM music. I grew up listening to country music because my mother is a Southern woman. That's only a step above that. You know that, right? I am absolutely aware of that. <laughs> no, I grew up listening to country music as well. So I'm just giving you a hard time. No, I love it. Listen, country music plans are like clicking off right now. <laughs> There's like yeah yes um listen you can put me some old school Alan Jackson and I'm just oh my gosh yeah oh it's so good Alan Jackson or like really old school like give me some good Dolly Parton um George Strait um and then if you want to go way far back Patsy Cline Walking After Midnight will always have my heart I know right like you nailed you've nailed like two eras for me that were really awesome I want to I want to drop a couple of records on you too like um Please. there's a, a Randy Travis record and I don't remember the name of mm. it um um but I think Digging Up Bones was on it yes and, uh, Clint Black um Clint Black had a record or two in there that I just absolutely adored and then I was madly madly a Reba fan as well like I would Reba is so underrated Oh my gosh, there were some really gear. I don't, I, I'd have to like kind of trace back how old I was or look up, you know, kind of look up when the dates were on the songs. So as a kid, I don't really remember, but mm-hmm. yeah, and there are a few records in there. Um, and then of course the Judds were, were just, I mean, come they on. were like the Indigo Girls for me. Like, <laughs> yes. like the, the harmonies and everything about it. I loved it growing up. And then, uh, then, you know, I got to junior high and country was not definitely not cool. So no. I started to, to kind of branch out a little bit but i became yeah. a, i became like one of those like scenester kids in middle school because like um because like right around like when i was in middle school it's like the Aber levine good charlotte thing happened and mm. so i went full wannabe goth like <laughs> it was real cute see that's all oh, that already tells me that you're better with eyeliner than i am <laughs> oh my gosh listen eyeliner i haven't tried yet but i will like you know i can do a basic glam face you know for myself everyone's like will you do my makeup i'm just like listen just because i am of the homosexual male variety doesn't mean that i can do your makeup i <laughs> it's sorry different when you try and put it on somebody else though it maybe maybe i'll be better at it because like my makeup will either look really good or like trash depending on <laughs> depending on what we're trying to do um i uh the, I want to say one Reba song that just like gets me. Have you heard the song "You Lie"? No, I don't. I'm not. I don't think I know that song. Man, after the, I'll send you a link after this. <laughs> like, go watch it on YouTube. But just like her, her, her range, she has a range that just gets shown off so beautifully. That's a, I, I love her. Yeah, and I, I just uh, when whoever's in New England, that was a huge hit for her. Oh my god, mm-hmm. I used to weep to that song, even though I had no idea what adultery was like. <laughs> <laughs> It's just, I think betrayal is just like a universal feeling. Yeah, I think ways. I definitely understood that probably. Yeah. Um, the other thing, I my other connection to you, because like I figured out like you'd come out and I was like, oh, that's interesting. But I was still in the phase of my life where I'm just like, 
maybe it's okay for other people, but it's not okay for me to be gay. And so it's still a little weird. But then I found you on, weirdly enough, the Bad Christian podcast. Like you would come out and they do it or doing an interview with them. And you introduced me via this podcast to the Wesleyan Quadrilateral. Oh, wow. So you didn't know that you were preaching, but let me tell you what, <laughs> you got some souls saved on that one. I think that might be the first time somebody's actually given me a credit for being a bit of a theological nerd. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, there it was. Because I remember like you introducing that. And I'd grown up in evangelical missionary world. And so we were never taught to like, this is how you, you know, wrestle with scripture. And so it was um... yeah, like the whole, I think, yeah, the thing I love about that and just for the sake of people who are like, what are you guys talking about? The Wesleyan quadrilateral is basically talking about how we engage, right? Like how do we decide, you know, what is the right path, I suppose, with mm-hmm. their theology and with the way they're thinking. And John Wesley came up with this idea that theology is a lot like legs on a table. Like, you know, there are four legs on a table. In order to get the whole faith system to stand and work, you know, have everything you put on top of it, you know, these legs have to bear the weight. And those legs are um, um, logic and, re- you know, logic and reason, which is kind of in one category. Um, scripture is another tradition and then um the fourth is experience and the thing that i actually really adore that when i when i heard that for me one of the first things that that really made me aware of is this this thing that i'd really struggled with my whole life in christianity is that my experience had often you know when people were talking to me about scripture and what was a right and good christian thing to do people always kind of took like reason and experience out of it. <laughs> like your experience mm-hmm. doesn't matter. Like the, the Oh yeah, I got told that all the time. Yeah. And I was like, how can how can that it just never made sense to me. Like how can I just pretend like my life isn't here and then I'm supposed to, you know, go into this other place without the experiences that I have and the wisdom that I've had, um, and not just for myself, but the wisdom that others that have added into my life. Um And at the same time, even though like that's an addition, I think, to the spiritual process that was really important for me to go, wow, I I felt like I got permission to finally utilize those things, right? Mm -hmm. The other side of it that that made me have to, I probably struggled with the most was this concept of tradition. And because I was like, fuck tradition, (laughs) like tradition (laughs) is really hurting me, right? And, and, uh, but at the same time, like understanding that tradition is still, like for me, I think tradition's a long story and it, it never ends in mm-hmm. one way. Like it, all traditions, you know, there's a, a key component or it looks familiar. It's connected in, in time, but traditions do change yes. and, and they don't necessarily have like massive paradigm shifts, but particularly when you look at the history of Christianity, I mean, we're a wildly different church today than we were, you know, even 30 years ago, let mm-hmm. alone 200 or, you know, more years ago. But we still have this fundamental tradition to go back to the things that are, are, and here's where I kind of get really fun. It's like Mm -hmm. to our scripture, to joining together and the traditions that we have built together and repeating those again and again, actually do build faith and they build community. But, you know, they're somehow disingenuous if we don't have all of those things brought into, you have to bring all of those things to the table. Mm -hmm. There's something, there's actually a verse in Proverbs that says, Something along the house of just some of the lines of just like uh, uh, being a house of new and old treasures. And this is actually something I learned in like the Pentecostal church I grew up in, um, which for some reason still not not to say that like, you know, when you look at your past sometimes and you're like, I don't want anything. I don't want to look at back that time with any favor. Like they didn't yeah. teach me anything. <laughs> I learned. Them. But this is the point where I'm saying, you know what? They actually did give me something nice. So kudos to y'all. Um, but this this idea of ha- being a house of new and old treasures constantly comes back to me of saying like, you know, like he would always like my pastor would always say just like, you know, the songs we're singing in worship now, we shouldn't be singing them five, 10 years later because that's an old treasure. Maybe bring it out for a time. But like, you know, that's why we're not singing, you know, Lord, I lift your name on high still. Um, <laughs> Do people still sing that? Listen, right. sometimes I get a wild <laughs> hair. I'll get a wild hair in my worship circles and we'll bring it up. But sometimes no, I cru- sometimes I do cruise down the road and at the as loud as I possibly can can sing Joyous the Flag. Yes! From the castle of my heart. Oh my, my heart. God, it, it drives my partner bonkers. Like, stop oh, I it! I haven't heard of that. I haven't remembered that song in so long. What was the other one? Um, 
we have this one is like the Lord opens up the eyes of the blind and he raises up those who are down. Do you know the one? No, I don't. These are all I, camp songs for me. Oh my gosh, you went to camp. Oh, I got saved at Jesus Camp, honey. Oh, that's so scary. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. the only the only entrance I ever had into Christian camps is when I was like first off I didn't know they existed and then I was like I didn't become a Christian until I was like 18 or 19. Mm. And uh and so I was getting hired to go do music at some of these camps and like most of the time I would never stay more than, you know, a few hours cuz I was just like I did not relate to that experience at all. I just oh, no. I just it's felt weird. so weird and out of place and everyone knew like like you're talking about like these just hundreds of songs that everyone just knew passionately and I just I didn't feel like I fit in because I didn't know these songs. And then what was worse is I didn't like a lot of them. Because so like, a lot of them are just not good. Not, yeah, they're pretty campy. <laughs> um, I actually, um, over this summer, I got asked to, originally I was just going to like be like a, a speaker and workshop leader at this camp in Florida. And then like last minute they asked me if I would be a counselor because like one of the counselors dropped last minute. I was like, you know what? I'm going to be there. I'll be a camp counselor. Not, why not? And let me tell you what, these people had like 10, 15 years of traditions that I just did not resonate with at all. I loved the experience, but just like I had to like suspend my judgment for a minute because it was just, uh, they were their own people. And I loved that. In the end, I kind of like grew to love it. But at very first, it's like, I think that's anybody who comes into any sort of Christian circle. It's like when I'm like going on dates now and I'm explaining to people, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. I go to a Baptist church and they're just like, wait what like <laughs> what does like, all that mean <laughs> like why why are you doing that i'm just yeah, like i, I think just it, love i love jesus okay you know i think it's one of the things too like when you have such a strong community it's whatever that community is right um mm-hmm. and a lot of it we'll, we'll use that word tradition in associated with that social circle for everyone that's in there we talk about the christian bubble a lot right you get mm-hmm. really accustomed and you just believe that the whole world is like this and it's not mm-hmm. really it's your world that's like that in that particular place but oh are you hearing that like my no i don't hear anything besides your beautiful voice okay um my email just went off in my ear and it was very distracting sorry about that um but um like they're, they're, you know, Christians aren't the only ones that do it. And like one of the examples I think of was like the first time I went to a lesbian bar. <laughs> yes. And, you know, I was, and I wasn't going as just like somebody else who was just going to have a couple drinks. I was going as a, a as a musician. I'd never been inside a, bar, a like a gay bar of any kind before. I had no idea what gay culture in America was like. I just, just I always kind of wow. just been around as me, right? So mm-hmm. I. I was actually really terrified of walking in. I don't know why. I don't know what I was afraid of, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, not afraid of like bodily harm or something like that, but just knowing that I was going to an environment that had been glorified in some ways, like in movies and was, I knew was going to be, the L word, you know, things yeah, like, that. like it was this experience that I just knew that I didn't have this social experience for, and I was going to look awkward or weird or whatever. I didn't know how to handle myself. Do you know how around. to act? Yeah, around 100 other lesbians in a bar. Well, it turned out like this was just kind of a, a, yes, there were a lot of lesbians there, um, but there were straight people that came to my show and couples and whatever. And at the same time at this bar, while I was playing, like I was really trying hard not to play any of my Christian stuff. Like I really didn't want to play it. Like I did Mm -hmm. not want to do anything even remotely Jesus-y in this place. Like I just Mm -hmm. couldn't do it. And all these girls were like, sing this or we'll get really mad like it is they started basically chanting for the songs in their tradition like for them when they were experiencing me and my music they wanted they traditionally came together and were singing you know some of the older music i was Mm -hmm. like wow and that that taught me like that was such a a beautiful moment i think for me Mm -hmm. because it taught me like that even though i was in this this foreign environment and there are a lot of people there in their world. They invited me into this place in a way that allowed me to live in it. And I think that sometimes what we forget, you know, we're when we're trying to hold on to a tradition and build a, a culture around it, that at the same time, like one of the beauties of a tradition is is being able to invite other people into it and say, hey, you know, we hope that you can enjoy this, not you have to enjoy it or use it as some kind of mechanism to know who belongs and who doesn't. It's, mm-hmm. it's a really nuanced thing, but you know, I, I know that there have been times that I felt really weird in other environments that 
I didn't grow up with. And the Mm -hmm. distinction for me is just when that, that group or that community gives me a way in to understand it doesn't make me feel like an idiot because I don't know how, you know, how and why some of these things work so much for that social group. Mm. Dang. That's lovely. (laughs) I've I've stunned you like a mullet. (laughs) No, I love that. Well, like here's, here's also the true tea is that usually like, I will say like in, uh, I don't know, like I, here's the thing about me. I talk a whole freaking lot. So when someone else can talk just as much as me, it's always very surprising and exciting for me <laughs> because I'm just like, yes. Oh um, gosh. So, um, what, since, you know, since like getting back into your music career, which was like 2009, right? Yeah. Right about then. Um, what's been, what's been like your favorite shows that you've played? Like what's kind of your favorite places to show up in? Oh man. I don't know. I mean, I'm doing a ton of bar, bar shows, you know, like, Mm -hmm. um, and I've, I don't know, like some of the, some of the coolest nights are like some of the skankiest nights, (laughs) like like a skanky bar. And I'm like wondering what the hell I'm doing in there and it's hot and it's sweaty and it's awful, but like, if the crowd's into it, I'm into it, you know? So, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know if there's been one particular place, but you know, I've been doing a lot of pubs and clubs around the country and I've, I've appreciated being able to be near my audience. I like, mm-hmm. I just always feel like in those environments that I'm having a conversation with people and I feel less like I've, you know, I've sold a ticket and I'm here to perform for you mm-hmm. and look at me. Cause I, I've never really felt real comfortable with that. I've always, yeah. when back in the day when I was playing in arenas and, you know, and into big auditoriums with 15 and 2000 people, like I like that from time to time, but I really, it just, there's a point can... where it gets so sterile because you can't really see everybody and you can't really feel people. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very much just like it's almost like I'm going to create this piece of art on this stage and you're going to enjoy it and then I'm going to go rather than like sitting in front of someone and having like just a real intimate moment of sharing yeah I mean it's amazing I mean like I've I've introduced some of my favorite moments actually have been like I've I've been able to play some new songs when I go out because you know I'm, I'm practicing and letting letting songs you know playing them before I record them and when I go play them. And I remember there, there was a spate uh, before the, the set me free record where I was playing some, some of these new songs and uh, I get done playing with it. And I'm like, I don't, you know, and I'm kind of insecure because people don't know it. Right. And the audience mm-hmm. is just listening and they're super cool. They're dead quiet. And they're all just looking at me and I get done and people don't even clap for like, not when you expect them to, like they're waiting, you know, like it feels like forever. Mm-hmm. And then you hear people go, whoa, like I would hear people just go, oh, or like make some kind of audible noise of just release. And I was like, oh shit, what did I just do? This sucks. Does it suck that bad (laughs) that you guys just don't even know what to do? And I I was really freaked out about it one night and then slowly, you know, people would start clapping. But after they got done, I was like, what was that? And the audience is like, we're speechless. We don't even know what to say. Like, yeah, that's the kind of feedback that, you know, like becomes conversational. It, it's almost like sitting around a campfire, you know, and going, okay, man, it's your turn to play. You play us a song and everybody talks mm-hmm. about it. You move on to the next guy. Mm-hmm. There, I know that feeling so well, definitely different context. So when I, I studied choral music education in college, so it was constantly singing in choirs and concerts and all sorts of stuff. And we um, got to perform this piece that my friend Carrie wrote, um, which is a setting of Emily Dickinson's There Is Another Sky which is my favorite poem because of that. But it was such a beautiful piece of music, but like, it was like, there's been so many moments when creating music with other people where just, it's like you create this incredibly holy moment yeah, through, through song. And it's just like, you know, anyone who is able to experience that is also just kind of like in awe of like how the veil between this world and the next got incredibly thin in that moment. Yeah, I I like that you say that because I I think that's that's where I take it too. Like there, as a performer, sometimes you know you get to the the end of that space, right? You've been making all this noise, and then you get there, and everybody's quiet. And I've never really taken that on as like 
my own achievement. <laughs> you oh, know? yeah. Like, I look up, like, sometimes I'm surprised in those moments. I look up and I'm like, oh, shit, there are all these people here. Where'd you guys come from? Um, yeah. Because I'm I having, was over here. Yeah. So I'm having a moment and then I realize that we're all having this moment together. And to be able to be, I mean, I, I, I feel like like those kind of intimate environments have, have been ones that have, have taught me a lot about, you know, re- not being afraid to be like uh, intimate or, you know, not, not being afraid to like really find something special in, in playing and reaching out. It is, is a spiritual experience. And I don't think you necessarily Mm -hmm. have to usher up a religion, but it's an opportunity to share something with people. And it's, you know, it's an unusual thing to stand up as a single person in front of, you know, 200 other Mm -hmm. sets of eyes, you know, it's, that's totally peculiar. But yeah. to be able to do that in a way where I, I think at times where I feel like I kind of disappear and I don't know, this thing that happens with music happens is to me one of like the mm-hmm. most, I mean, it doesn't, it's, I wouldn't say that that happens, you know, all the time, but you know, it, it happens with enough frequency. You're like, oh man, I'm going to try that again. Like I, you don't mm-hmm. even try it really. You just hope that it happens and you, in order to get there, you just kind of have to release yourself to it and allow it to, to enter into the room. Mm-hmm. That makes me think of uh, a couple experiences like I've had where, or it's just like in general, like that uh, people understanding, like, like uh, you know how people like sometimes will just go from like, this is again, Christian talk, going from conference to conference, and they just get conference high and they're just like conference Christians. And they go to this place and they just get their life totally wrecked by Jesus. And then they're going to go back to their community and like change the world because they had this one experience, but generally they just are chasing high after high. Um, I think what I like about music in particular and getting to perform music, um, is that when you understand that it's not about that moment, it's not about like constantly getting, um, this euphoric state, but it's about like the practice of everything around it. I think it's almost just like yoga. Sometimes it's just like, you know, you're not practicing yoga because you can do a headstand. You're practicing yoga so that you can like be in your body. Um, yeah, it's or like I think music's kind of something similar. It's just like we're not making, we don't create music because we're like looking to transcend to another like spatial plane. We're, we're doing it because like we know that it exists. Now you're getting into an area that I'm just like with like popular music. Which don't get me wrong, I like popular music, and I I've gone to plenty of shows of, of pop musicians, but I've been. You know, like when I listen to the radio, sometimes I'm like, man, I work too hard. (laughs) (laughs) You you do. You really do. I want to, I want to, when like, when I pick up my guitar and I think that I've got to stand up in front, you know, and I realize that what's ahead of me is to stand up in front of people. Like, I don't want to just, for me, I don't know. Like, I don't want to just stand up in front of people for the sake of everyone glorying over my presence Mm -hmm. there. Um, Yeah. I want to share something like I want, I want to have like, I'm going to sound so cheesy, but I like, I want to have hope in, in who we are. And mm-hmm. it's a collective to me, it's a collective experience. And I don't know, like in, in music today and in our, you know, in our, our highly amped up visual entertainment culture, mm-hmm. I, I, I miss those days where I used to listen, you know, I, I mean, you know, everybody's walking around with headphones on their heads all the time. And I'm just kind of like, I, I do that with my headphones on at home with my eyes closed so I can Mm. get lost in it. Like I'm at, I, you know, when I listen to music, I want to listen to it. I really do want to feel it. And I want to Mm. understand, I want to, I want to allow it to take me to some place. And that's not to say that I don't think, you know, like a, a, you know, EDM can't do that. I think it can. I don't, I don't want to slight any other genre, but I, I think that to me is what makes the artist over time to me stand out or those people who invite me into their world and share something with me rather than just say, look at me, look at me. Mm-hmm. Um, question for you. Um, and I'm sure you've talked about this other places and I just haven't heard you talk about it, but when you were in Australia and like working through, um, you know, your reconciling the faith and sexuality thing, um, when you were like, what was music for you like then? Because for so long it was your career in like CCM land. Was it, was it quite painful to still hold oh God, on to? It was like absolute kryptonite. Like I hated it. Like I couldn't, 
I can I can hear music. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, this kind of music's everywhere. But if, mm-hmm. if anything moved me, like, I would turn it off, like, immediately. Like, the second it would start to, like, I would, it, it was like, it was just at the quicks. It would, mm-hmm. it would just be so painful to me. And it took me a long time to, to sort out why. Like, at first I thought I was mad. And I, I don't know, in a lot of ways, I went through the stages of grief, because when I when I quit music in 2002, the story I tell is, you know, I, I literally played my last gig in 2002. And I put my guitars in the case. And I was like, fuck it, that's it. Like, I'm not, I'm not doing this anymore. And I thought my that portion of my life was over. And so I tried to compartmentalize it and say that, you know, good riddance to bad rubbish, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But as you know, in those times when I would hear music, I would find myself just you know, like the stages of grief, I went through anger, I wept, I cried, you know, I went through all of it until eventually I just missed it so much. That process took like seven years for me to even be able to turn on the radio and and hear anything. And like, I remember actually, uh, Katie Hudson was doing Mm -hmm. her um, tour in Australia when I was there. Um, So just after I kissed a girl, you know, was taking off and because I wasn't listening to the radio, I had no idea, but I turned on the telly and. She- oh, you're caught. Ca- you're talking about Katy Perry. Yes. Katy Perry. Did I say Katie Hudson? You did. Oh, I was sorry. like, I think that's who she's talking about, but I'm not sure. Yeah. Uh, Katie Hudson or Katy Perry. Um, of course I knew her in uh, her CCM days as, as Katie Hudson, but I turned on the telly and she was there and I just started weeping. Like, but I watched it because I knew her and I was like, it kind of, you know, this person just appeared out of nowhere, kind of, for me, and I was just mm-hmm. like, what was going on, and it was just freak, it, I almost had a full-blown panic attack looking at it, and I didn't really understand wow. why, you know, but it was part of, like, just the rage and the sadness and being separated from a craft and a meaningful ritual for me, and, and performing yeah. and playing music, that because of all of the things that I'd associated with it, like being in public, with Christianity, it was just all tied up in a big mess. And uh, that it was at that mo- point where I was, I realized like, Oh, I am hung up here in ways that are, I'm not really, you know, I wanted to have more control over that. I was like, man, I felt like, ro- basically I, I felt like I'd been robbed of music and mm-hmm. that there were these circumstances that were not allowing me to do that. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to let that happen. Like, Right. You know, and it's, it had happened for about seven or eight, you know, for seven years or so. But I was like, when I kind of when it dawned on me, I was like, I just I didn't want to tolerate that anymore. I'm like, OK, I'm going to see if I can pick up my guitars and play again. And mm-hmm. I, I didn't really do that necessarily thinking that I was going to work my way back to the music industry at all. Like, in fact, that was way too terrifying of a thought for me. But I just I wanted to play. I realized that I didn't journal anymore. You know, I hadn't been journaling. I hadn't been writing. I hadn't in. I found other creative outlets. I was doing a lot of photography. I was doing some painting and, you know, some little things like that, that I wasn't really good at, but, Mm um, I really had cut, it was basically like cutting off a best friend that was just waiting for me. And I just, Mm -hmm. I didn't want to talk to them until I was ready. And it, it took a long while, but it was, that was probably the most painful part of it, to be honest. Yeah. I'll bet. Like I, you know, not to the same extreme. Cause like I was, Never been on your level, probably will never be on your level because I don't think they're going to sign like a gay worship artist right now. I don't think that's a thing that CCM is doing, but if they would. Well, I don't don't think it's on levels. You know, I I seriously wouldn't qualify that as levels though. I mean, I think we, I think what, I think there's, you know, there's a a universality to that experience, right? Where Mm -hmm. we, we, but the things are stolen. And I I think this is part of the thing that I communicate a lot in my advocacy work, um, inside the church is, you know, imagine the sacred things being taken away from you. Like mm-hmm. the, the things that add fruit and, and meaningfulness to your life. And it, it doesn't, it, they're, di- there are wildly different things for different people. And to, you know, to me, this, you know, there may be some things to another, you know, when I go, Oh, I, I can't really perform anymore. I feel like I can't perform anymore that I'm not an earnest player. You know, musicians are maybe going to relate to how, terrifying and excruciating that experiences but for somebody who you know only sings in the shower they were like yeah do something else like no. you don't understand i'm missing an arm no. here like this is that's it that's a, it right there yeah it's a tearing in your soul and i i think we can all experience that way it's and it 
the public has nothing to do with it. In fact, I think Mm -hmm. for me, the fact that I got to do that in private, you know, I don't know, there was something about that. Like, I, I think I knew that that was coming in some way. And so I was really grateful to be able to have that on a private level. But, you know, and I think even like, I think that's kind of what prompted my leaving in 2002 is just like some of, some of the wrestling that I had to do and extricating like who I was as a musician, who I was as a person of faith, if I was even going to continue to be one, who I was as a woman, who I was as an LGBTQ person, like all of these things were just bound up in this whole like professional aura of life that I had. You know, I was Mm -hmm. Jennifer Knapp, the Christian rock star, whatever the hell that meant. Um, you know, and I didn't even know that at the time, but like, I knew like somehow or other, I, I knew that there were a lot of people outside of me that expected me to be a certain way that I knew that I wasn't. And then I knew that I wasn't going to be able to achieve, but at the same time, I didn't, I was getting to the point where I didn't have the courage to, to figure out how I wanted to be. Mm -hmm. And that's a really strange place to be in. Like, it's like, you know, it's like trying to walk on water. It's just, it's, it's an impossible thing to do. If you don't know who you are, you know, when things are quiet and you're by yourself and know, you know, kind of have some Ooh, fundamentals yes. of how to explain yourself when the temperature gets turned up, that's harder mm-hmm. to achieve. Right. And so it's just yeah. this feeling of just sinking. And I just, it took me a long time to kind of get that, to get to that place. But to me, that wasn't just about being a musician. It wasn't just about being a Christian or it wasn't just about being gay. You know, like there were all of these things going, man, I don't even know how to be a well-rounded human being. So I'm going to just tell all of those other things to take a back seat for a little while. And I'm going to concentrate on becoming a human being. Mm-hmm. Um, one last thing is like the thing that I say that I often say is like, I didn't know the sound of my own voice, like in my yeah. head, you know, all of, you know, all of the kind of, running dialogue that happens in our heads when we're thinking and I didn't know which one was mine. Like I didn't know which one was the church, which one was, you know, everybody else. That is, that is so real because mm, I just need to like put that on a quote book. Just like, I didn't know which voice in my head was mine. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That describes it perfectly. Like I led worship like all through like, like high school and the beginning of college and then you know took some time off because I didn't know what to do but like I remember like um you know I was in the closet and you know still leading worship and then when I got kicked out of worship land and kicked out of like evangelical missions world like it was that same exact feeling of just like I hate this so much I hate everything worship music I hate everything that has to do with like that kind of stuff but like I missed it so much and then fast forward like a year and a half later I got to lead worship at, you know, GCN at like one of the biggest national conferences oh, that cool. queer Christians have. And being able to walk into that space and like with my full self, like there's nothing like it. It was like, it was like kind of like what you said, like being reunited with a part of yourself that like you just could not, like you can't live without it. And th- this is a part where I'm going to sound like uh, a little bit Christian, if not a lot. A little Christian. Okay. <laughs> oh my God. Do not label the title of this podcast that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, okay. I'm going to tell you right now. Like, I can't guarantee that. It's just like Jennifer Knapp is a little Christian. <laughs> oh my God. Um, I'm trying so hard not to be labeled, but here's the thing. <laughs> like, Sorry. I, there's like the processes we go through, right? All of that anger and that rage. I mean, when somebody's hurt you or a process has disappointed you or we lose something, we grieve and we go through hate and rage and anger. And I, that's a, you know, it's a valid thing to go through, right? And mm-hmm. I, I think a lot of LGBTQ people inside of the church have gone through this process, mm-hmm. um, you know, where you're just like, um, for me, I was like, I am never stepping foot in a church again. Thank God. Mm-hmm. Like, thank God I'm gay. Like, I don't have to go back. I finally had the excuse that, you know, all of the frustrations that I had experienced with Christianity, you know, I could go, oh, well, you know, I'm not welcome. But at the same time, like, you know, we we're talking about like this missing kind of element or this missing something meaningful about that. What was me? You know, I had to ask myself, okay, like finally one day I kind of admitted, yeah, I'm really pissed off. I feel really, you know, uninvited sometimes or angry or ashamed or kind of a lot of negative things associated with, with say, you know, with church as an example. But at the same time, like 
you know, how do I explain the loss? Like, how do I explain the fact that I really do want to be able to engage in non, I want to be able to engage my spirituality and mm-hmm. I miss that. And something is not right with me when I'm not like, I. so right. how do I reconcile those two things? And I don't know, like, some, I, you know, it wasn't like this, this wasn't like, I wasn't in therapy at this particular time. But I Mm -hmm. think one of the things that I got out of that was just, I just, that's my mode is I just turn straight to that stuff. And I look at head on, I'm going, okay, what are you pissed about? And I would kind of go through and be honest with myself of what I was mad about. And I would say, oh, I'm never. And I kind of learned pretty quickly, like never doesn't really work. Um, Yeah. You know, like there are a lot of things I say never to every once in a while. And I realize that it doesn't work that way. But at the same time, I guess it's all to say is that, you know, with, with, with a little bit of time and kind of like going through that, I actually evaluated it. I didn't just like say, okay, this, this hurts and therefore I'm mad. I would like, well, why am I mad? And why is this hurting? And what do I want to do about that? And so mm-hmm. in, you know, and just processing through these lists of questions, you know, okay, well, what do I want to do about that? And like right now, honestly, nothing, <laughs> you yep. know, and being okay with that. And then real like, get, but at the same time, giving yourself permission, maybe, you know, a few years on to say, I might go back. I don't know. But the the redemptive quality of that to be able to say, you know, I, I guess the part of that for me was that my anger and rage that was however justified for the, the kind of sideways spiritual experience that I'd had with the church. Mm-hmm. I just refused to allow that negative experience in at the place and time where I experienced it, color the entire process and color right. it you know, for all cultures, for all of Christianity, you know, it was just a place and it was just a time. And I wanted to see if there was something redeemable about it. And, Mm -hmm. you know, at the end of the day, I think that's what my faith has kind of really taught me is to kind of go through and not just judge for the sake of judging, but what is redemptive about this experience? Like, can Mm -hmm. I find something good here? And, you know, more often than not, I do. (laughs) It doesn't mean that I necessarily keep it. It doesn't necessarily mean that I fully participate or fully go back. Um, mm-hmm. but I shudder I to think if I hadn't have done that, that, you know, how differently my life would be right now. Yeah. The thing you said about like anger, like I have, I can't remember where I read it or heard it, but someone once said like that anger is like jet fuel. It like burns bright and it burns fast, but at the end of it, like it's gone so quickly. And at the end of it, like, you know, if you don't have enough to sustain you, you're just going to crash and burn because, um, because that's, I think that's what anger does. At least that's what anger does to me. Like as I, anger is like my go-to. I'm an Enneagram eight. And so I, I like, I love fun, but I, I'm also angry all the time. <laughs> so like, I, I, like, as I like, I think that's the kind of like, you know, I hate using like words that are almost coming cliche, like deconstruction and things like that. Because everyone's like, I'm deconstructing right now. I don't want to like, I don't want to do anything with faith right now. So I'm like, you're just being lazy. You need to figure out what you believe because right now, like, cause mostly because I want to radicalize everybody. <laughs> That's really why I want people to figure their shit out. Well, maybe, maybe here I'm going to go to songwriter mode. Like maybe in like an alternative to deconstruction is developing a, an awareness. I mean, yes. You know, an awareness of, of what the components are. And I, I think that's, yes, you know, deconstruction is kind of an, an academic way that we talk through, you know, like modern, you know, like we're contemporary talking about some of these issues, but in that it's not just like pulling everything apart and laying it on the table. It's like being aware of how each one of these things work, how they fit together and really, you know, looking at the value of each one of those kinds of things. And that's kind of maybe where I move into awareness. And, you know, if we, Mm -hmm. we use kind of Twitter as an example, right, where everybody just gets on and just slams you the second that you make a mistake. Um, Mm -hmm. and not that calling, you know, not that calling out the broken things isn't important. It is, but at some point, like the value of that is lost. If we don't say, okay, look, I recognize that this thing is broken, have an awareness of what that is. And to begin the pro, you know, and do what you need to do. Like if you're angry, fine, you're going to have to process that we're normal. We're going to be upset and disappointed and all of those things. But the value of that moment is like, you know, like with any strong sensation, right? When, when your brain sends a signal to you, to your hand that you've touched a fire and you pull your hand away because it's hot, like you learn, you should be learning something from that experience. Why mm-hmm. am I angry? You know, that's the next step. Why am I angry? 
what do I want to do about it? And how am I going, you know, what is the meaning of this point? Just because it's a bad mm -hmm. point, which, you know, how do we not repeat that event? And that to me is, that to me is like the harder work. Yes, we can, mm -hmm. it, it, it's easy to tear anything down, right? But it's yeah. really hard to build something back up that, that stands and that lasts. Mm-hmm. And then I guess the question, another question I always ask people is just say, well, what do you want? Like, what, like, what do you actually, like, what do you need and what do you want? Because like, I think those are like really important things. Like, like, do you like, and I always tell people, like, that's something that I, my family differs on me on is like, if you don't want to go back into like a spiritual community, like a church, then don't go back. Don't. <laughs> right. You know, like yeah, if you, if, if, if you, you know, find a different spiritual tradition that works for you, good, go with God. You know, because like where you're coming alive, that's where God exists anyways. Yeah, I but think that's where I get the most trouble with most Christians is like, you know, I give pre people permission to absolutely never go back. <laughs> oh, I tell people all like, I'm like, listen, I stay because I've got thick skin and elastic heart and I'm just kind of petty and I want that I want to win. That's what it comes down to. But I, um, I love that though. Like what you're saying though, because like, what do you, what do you want? Like, I've been like that in my life too. Like I used to spend years being just angry. Like I would just, somebody would do something wrong. Right. And I would just get mad and I'd just mm. be in this little tizzy and just be yelling and all this kind of stuff. And one day it was just like, well, what do you want? <laughs> I mean, like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> you just realize know. you're like, you know, in this fury about whatever and not like, I'd never asked myself that before. And the second that had dramatically changed how long I get angry now. Like, mm -hmm. and, and I'm, I'm not suggesting that's necessarily a, a silver bullet for everybody, but for it's part of that contemplation, right? It's like, mm -hmm. what am I actually upset about? And like some days I'm like, my answer is I just want to be mad at you right now. That's, that's all I got. Like, I've just got flat outrage for you, man. <laughs> and the next <laughs> is like, no, I've, I, I was amazed how many times my anger was centered to how sad and hurt and disappointed yes. I was, you know, just because somebody asked me like, what are you? And I was like, Oh, I realize that I'm yelling and screaming right now, but I'm actually really sad. And then mm -hmm. I could, the switch would flip and I'd just be in tears. And, Oh, that's the same thing for me. Like anger is like, um, almost like if it was like a wall of fire and like once you get through that little wall of fire, I'm just literally just a little, little guy over in the corner. Who's like very upset about everything that's happening and feels out of control. Yeah. That's usually like what it like. Um, my therapist has said, like when I've recounted moments where I've blown up on somebody, she's like, no, nah, like who was talking in that moment? Was it actually like, you know, 28 year old Kevin or was that eight year old Kevin? Yeah, I don't know my psychological research data very well, but I'd bet there's a pretty massive adrenaline push in our bodies when, mm -hmm. when we get that rush of shame or disgrace or, you know, whatever oh, yeah. anger comes up. It's probably, it's you know, it's probably like that fight or flight response where we're getting that big push yeah. of chemicals where we're just reacting in that way. Oh, yeah. For, for me, like... Uh shame like uh, breaking down the brain science of it it's like shame hits you and it people react differently to shame i react in anger i don't want it i don't want that to be on me even though i'm already feeling it really deeply and so as a way to like offset that um you know the amygdala kicks in says fight or flight i always say fight the adrenaline kicks in you know prefrontal cortex is like out the window no reasoning whatsoever just go fight win yep and I like that by style. that point <laughs> That's my go-to and it takes me like when at my best, I am nuanced and measured and I can slow down and take a breath. And like, I recognize it more now, but at my worst, like you better not DM me something stupid in the middle of the day because I will take you to task on it because I wasn't expecting you to try and shame me in my inbox. But that's what, Yeah. But that's like where, when you ask like, well, what do I want out of this situation? And then all of a sudden you start to realize that what you, when you do actually figure out what you want, you realize mm. that the way you're acting right now is not going to get you what you want. Ugh, isn't it the worst? <laughs> it's, it's, it's adds, usually for me, it adds further humiliation. But <laughs> yeah. Ugh. What do you know your Enneagram type by chance? Uh, I don't officially know, but uh, well, I guess we have to kick you out of progressive I, Christianity world because you just don't know. And yet another way I failed to fit in over the years. Wow. <laughs> I think I'm actually getting ready to do a podcast here in the next week with some uh, the an Enneagram specialist. So uh, <laughs> I've kind of been holding off. I I've been diagnosed <laughs> as diagnosed. A, as a, 
because I've never done it myself, but like multiple mm. people have, have like kind of quizzed me and determined that I'm a five, but uh, I'm kind of waiting because of, yeah, this, this podcast uh, specialist of Enneagrams is uh, going to go do one. We're going to do one live on air. So I thought it'd be quite fun. Oh, that will be fun. Well, yeah, at least speaking, like listening to how you speak, you speak like a lot of fives I know. So <laughs> great. It's not a bad thing. Fives are like some of my favorite people. They're incredibly logical. They know a shit ton about everything and um, generally um, have well-rounded, um, they have really well-rounded opinions about stuff. It's usually like based off of their actual research and facts yeah, um, along good. with their experience. <laughs> so yeah, that, that, I'm already like bored. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm just saying like, oh yeah, okay, yeah, you got me, you got me. Go ahead, go ahead and just cancel that interview and say, hey, just play, like, you guys can have two minutes from this other podcast I was on, throw that on your ear. And just listen just... to that before you give your diagnosis. That's what I'm calling it as a diagnosis. I know that's totally not the right I think it's like, I think the proper, quote unquote, proper term when we're talking about a pseudo, like, it's not even like scientifically proven that the Enneagram is actually like factual or psychological it's just like it's worked for so many people that it's like whoop there it is but you know here's the thing that i love about it though is it kind of like tying it back into our conversation a bit like one of one of the biggest revel and this sounds really weird but one of the biggest revelations to me in my finding my own voice journey right was mm-hmm. to realize that i was an introvert and mm-hmm. like right you're either an introvert or an extrovert and you know there's stuff in i'm sure that's on a spectrum at a certain point but Um, I didn't, I didn't really understand that about myself. And I think Mm -hmm. because I do talk a lot and I'm very, you know, forward facing to most people because I'm not shy. Right. But I am an introvert and I'd I'd never really made that connection. And when I started that kind of under, I started reading on like what introvert personalities do and how they refuel and understanding the way that kind of personality type works really equipped me a lot better to make better decisions that, Mm -hmm about like what I wanted to do. Like when I was answering those, you know, well, what are you mad about and what do you want? Those kinds of things. I was all of a sudden in understanding my introverted nature. I realized that, man, for example, my profession, right? It's a very extroverted profession. I go out, I'm on stage. I spend two or three hours a night talking to hundreds of different people. When I'm done, I am done. Like Mm -hmm. I'm so exhausted. I'm so empty. And that, that was in the past that really gave me a lot of depression because I mm. didn't really understand that I, I had to refuel and I had to mm. reconnect. And I tying that like into Enneagram thing, I think that's part of knowing your own self, right? And knowing mm. your own voice and whatever, you know, these tools are being useful for a lot of people just going, not just going, oh, wow, there are people like me. I'm not a freak of nature because, you know, there's not oh, something. Yeah. Like it's a validation of the the ways that we are, right? That there are blocks of people that are, you know, like me. Very similarly wired. Yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm hopelessly logical and it, it totally screws with my songwriting. And (laughs) like, I would like for me, right. Like I want to cut loose and I want to be fantastical and think just wildly creative thoughts and some, but my brain sometimes won't let me do it. But because I know that, like, that's one of the things I actually do know about myself. I'm really structured. And so because I do know that I know that there are exercises that I can go through or give myself permission to be a little bit wild and crazy or, Mm -hmm. you know, going, I know you don't want to try this, but, and it doesn't make sense, but give it a go and see what happens. And, you know, being able to kind of toy with those things because I'm confident about, you know, where, where I, you know, where I'm positioned in the universe. Mm Mm-hmm. You still there? Yes. Oh, okay. Sorry. I didn't know if you had, like, that was like, it got so quiet. I'm like, wait, is she done? <laughs> Where was the exhale? That's brilliant. And the sigh. <laughs> yeah. I, I think, okay. I think that I'm just getting used to the cadence of your voice because you know how some people will like have like the, I'm talking, talking, talking. And then this is the end of my point. <laughs> um, I, Sorry. I didn't give you, you talk, the, uh, I didn't give you the results no. cord. No, please don't ever. I love a good unresolved chord. I was a jazz. I'm a jazz musician, so like I sing jazz all the time, and I want to end on something disgusting and weird every that, time. And that hurts me so much. You have no <laughs> idea. I had a music professor once, uh, my, one of my music theory teachers, who would walk into a class and play an unresolved chord like right at the start of the thing for an hour. I would be like OCD 
ADD, I don't know, like some kind of clinical agitated for the next 60 minutes. And, but you'd forget about the cord. And then mm -hmm. he, at the end of the class, he would resolve the cord, like disconnected. He would just play the, you know, an hour apart the resolution. And all of a sudden my body could just feel my body just relax. And I was like, man, that was just the worst torture. I actually, wow. I think it actually affected my grades in that class, to be honest. Like it was just so disturbing to me because I needed. And he probably thought he was just like a funny fucker he out here. He probably did. He didn't know that he was screwing around with my brain. Ugh, I am sorry for that. My, I had one, I had one uh, piano professor. He wasn't, um, he wasn't cruel, but he was really insensitive. Like I had a friend of mine who was, um, she's albino, and um, because of that, she also has like vision impairedness. Yeah. And she was like, "Wait, is like he just made this, the hugest deal out of the fact that she was blind?" Like in our music class, it was like just the worst and then i had another professor who was such a germaphobe when i went to his when i went to his studio for like one of my piano lessons and i sneezed he kicked me out of his room because he didn't want to get sick nice so. social skills <laughs> yeah something that that music majors i don't think have a lot of but well, you know you spend a lot of time in practice rooms by yourself repeating eight bars at a time for hours on like the same eight bars for eight hours it, i think it does a little something to you <laughs> A little bit. And, it's, and here's the thing. I wasn't the best music student in the world. I took five years to get my music degree and I was involved with everyone on campus and became the homecoming king. So like, that's the level of practice I was doing. <laughs> no, no musician, no serious musician gets to be a homecoming king. I'm just saying. Well, I mean, I'll be real with you. Like I, I consider myself a good enough musician, but I'm a bet I'm a much better speaker. <laughs> <laughs> um, I am a writer and a much better uh, singer than I am a full-blown musician. That's for sure. I can arrange people. I can direct a whole band. I can do all the stuff I need to do. I just don't like it. Well, that's, I want that's a whole to... other level. I, I gave that stuff up a long time ago, man. I play I play my six string, four chords, and I'm pretty happy these days. <laughs> <laughs> Good. I'm proud of you. <sighs> okay, so we're getting towards the end of our time, and I know that you have to go live your life. I am going to go to a dance party called Smothered and Covered. So <laughs> you want to come? I see that sounds like an extrovert extravaganza oh. and an introvert nightmare. <laughs> it's in it's in the basement of this little bar in uh, East Atlanta Village. It's like a bunch of like indie DJs and a bunch of like ballroom dance. And by ballroom dance, I mean like uh, voguing ballroom. See, and... I was imagining something wildly more erotic. Oh, no, just, it's basically just like, it's called Smothered and Covered because it's like a, a Southern delicacy type deal, I think. Okay. Like, so, the, uh, great. like my hash browns that I get at Waffle House. Exactly, <laughs> Hanny, exactly. That was my conversation with the fantastic Jennifer Knapp. Um, you can get in touch with Jennifer across social media at Jennifer underscore Knapp. That's K-N-A-P-P. And on her website, JenniferKnapp.com. Pick up Love Comes Back Around wherever you get your music from. And be sure to check out her tour, which is coming through Alabama and Florida. Today, actually, if you're listening to this tonight, she's going to be at St. Augustine in Florida at Cafe 11. Tomorrow in Tampa, Florida at The Attic. And on the 18th in Mobile, Alabama um in the listening room so true dates are continuing in the spring again go to jennifernapcom slash shows to learn all about that jennifer girl i love you i can't wait to hang out again i can't wait to hang out in irl it's gonna be amazing thank you so much for coming on the show a tiny revolution is supported by amazing folks on patreon 137 of them to be exact and if you don't know what patreon is it is literally the easiest way to support the creatives in your life that are making the content that matters so if you thought that this conversation was important if uh, any of the blogs podcasts or videos that i'm making are helpful to you i would seriously love for you to become a sustaining partner over on patreon not only are you supporting me as a creative but you're also getting some sweet perks including free t-shirts at certain levels a slack channel that's really active with amazing people just like you to help you build community and find your place in the movement and on top of that we've also got a new podcast coming out soon called uh um decent advice which is something i started on the very first couple episodes of the show and then discontinued because it felt too disjointed but i i get more cues in my inbox every single day and so i am trying to answer them in public so that maybe if you have a question you can also answer it so if you want to submit a question for decent advice 
go to thekevingarcia.com slash askme. Or you can call the Decent Advice hotline at 404-507-2625. Just leave a voicemail and you may hear your voice on the podcast. You're going to hear the A version of Decent Advice right here in your Tiny Revolution stream, uh, I believe starting on Sunday. And then after that, uh, what's going to be really cool is that if you are a Patreon supporter at $5 a month or, or, lo- or more, you're going to get the extended version of all of those conversations. So I feel like the Decent Advice podcast is probably only going to be around like 15, 20 minutes long. But if you want like a longer, like an hour long conversation that's a little bit more frank, it's going to be me and my friends and people just answering questions that you might find interesting. So become a Patreon supporter at $5 a month. Get the true T version of Decent Advice. And yeah. So that's one of the great things about Patreon. You're not only helping support the work, but you're also getting something in return. So yeah, patreon.com slash Garcia. I think I've talked too much about this, but I think that covers it all. Um, if you haven't, go to qchristian.org, get your tickets, come see me and Jennifer Knapp at the Q Christian Fellowship Conference. And I love you. I think you're amazing. Thank you so much for all the support that you've been pouring out these past few weeks. Uh, I'm excited for the new phase of work. Go to the YouTube channel. Go over to find me on all the social medias, thekevingarcia.com. And don't forget to leave a rating for this podcast in the iTunes store. It seriously helps get this podcast in front of people who need to hear a better word about their life. So until next time, make sure that you go see your therapist, take your meds, drink some water, eat something delicious, move your body, be kind to yourself, uh, be kind to others. We're going to make it through fam, fight the good fight. Um, Listen to some really good music. I have been really chilling on SZA's album again for a while. It just really does it for me. Also, don't sleep on Willow. The song, wait a minute, that's going to get you your whole life, honey. So again, uh, this has been another episode of A Tiny Revolution. I'm Kevin Garcia, and I will talk to you next time, honey. Bye.